Hi, welcome to the Your Adrenal Fix podcast, where we help exhausted and burnt out adults learn the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their health back quickly. My name is Dr. Joel Rosen, and I've suffered with my own adrenal fatigue problem, and now I've made it my mission to tell the truth about adrenal fatigue so that we can get to the root cause of your problem and really teach you how to put the puzzle pieces together so that you could tap into your hidden energy reserves and have all day energy. So this podcast is for anyone who's struggling for years or feeling overwhelmed and burnt out or you're just feeling stuck you're going to get cutting edge information from all our different guests in different respected health fields to give you those important tidbits of information so that you can actually act on them and improve your health join us for our podcast i know you will enjoy it All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Truth About Your Health podcast, where we teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about their health so that they can get their health back quickly. And today it's like I'm a kid in the candy store because Seam is someone that I've been watching for a long time. I have both of his big books, and he's got more books to even speak of. Um, if you haven't heard of him before, his name is Seam Land. He's the author and content creator, public speaker, entrepreneur, biohacker, and health performance coach. He's written several several books, just like I told you, um, about longevity and optimization for your health, metabolic autophagy, stronger by stress, the immunity fix, the mineral fix. And he's also now written another book called the NADPH or circadian NADPH plus uh, activation system. So Seem, thank you so much for being here today. It's a real pleasure to have you here joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me and I'm uh, glad to be here. Yeah, so listen, um, I love your intro story in terms of your backgrounds in anthropology. And if I were to be completely honest with you, in my first year of university, I took anthropology as a, an elective because I didn't know what to take. And it was one of those times where it was an elective for me to show up to the actual class. And um, I, I didn't do very well because I wasn't focused at that time. But can you tell us how that anthropology was a springboard to becoming the, the credentials that we just talked about for writing books on longevity and, and health optimization? How did that happen? Uh, well, I th the reason I took or started studying anthropology was um, I was just very uh, curious about human nature and human um, society, culture, and those kind of things, all those things. Uh, and uh, I, I started, yeah, like the anthropology degree because of mm, that felt like, you know, the right thing to uh, satisfy my uh, you know, desire to learn about those things at that time. And uh, during the anthropology uh, studying, I... You know, started thinking about okay, well, like what do I want to do in the future actually, and uh, that kind of for some reason I came to the conclusion that I would like to be like a writer or yeah, like write books and or be an author, uh, whichever you know form it ends up taking, and it's just like the medium that I enjoyed, uh, and uh, yeah, during the college years or university years, I did start to write my blog about um yeah biohacking and health uh, initially it was just you know very simple um you know just different kinds of nutrition strategies and training and they're kind of yeah, like very simple things and uh just uh, started to grow a little bit of audience from there not uh, like a significant amount uh, still very small and 
then I did like um, wrote write a few uh, books about uh, a ketogenic diet and um, started to sell that on Amazon. That kind of like yeah, that was like my first source of income online and um, made me realize, hey, I can do this like full time and uh, do more like in, the, in more in depth research and more thorough books and those things. Uh, from that, I yeah started to create uh, YouTube videos as well, and that where most of my like audience uh, came from at that time. And uh, YouTube grew quite well uh, because I think I covered some uh, topics that many people didn't talk about, like uh, ketosis or cyclical ketosis and uh, intermittent fasting, and mentioning things like autophagy and you know actually explaining what it is and how it works and uh, refuting some myths about it and yeah i think that it kind of helped to springboard my audience because of covering this you know novel topic that many people didn't know about um especially the details about it and that kind of made my like initial like uh my let's say my brand or my audience was associated a lot with uh, this interval fasting and uh, autophagy uh, which i think still well, most of it is what i'm most known for the metabolic autophagy book and uh, but yeah like regardless that was like what i started to talk about but over the course of time i implemented more topics you know just general health and saunas and exercise and um yeah more more interaction longevity stuff as well by now and uh, wrote several books uh, on different topics like stronger by stress which was the uh, book about hormesis and stress adaptation and then i also um, started to co-author um, many books with uh, Dr. James DiNicola Antonio, The Immunity Fix, which talks about the immune system, The Mineral Fix about minerals. Uh, the latest one was a Win, which talks about actually athletic performance and exercise. And uh, the next one that we're working on right now is The Obesity Fix. So it's going to talk about like weight loss and uh, weight management. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an awesome breakdown of where you got to today. I could see how anthropology, just in terms of the study of cultures, and would, would naturally evolve as you continue to open up the next door and go through that and then listen to what your audience is, is what resonates with them, and then continue to refine and, and get into where you got to. So thanks for sharing that. Just an obvious spectator question, though. Seem, how, how do you remain so productive? Because it's it is amazing to see how. I mean, these books are thick, and you know, and and just to mention, you have all these things on the go. I, I guess those are your your biohacks, but specifically in terms of just sitting down and and get and crushing it and and getting content out. What would you say? You know, what's what's the secret to the success on that? I think it's uh, a lot of having very good systems and uh, routines and habits that uh, put it into yeah, like you know autopilot almost or making it very effortless. Um, so I have like a system for writing and I have a system for making videos and social media posts and uh, whatnot. So I just um, stick to that routine and um, yeah, I do think that you know a lot of it is yeah just a lot of like being productive deliberately of, you know, wanting to do those things and uh, doing them and not like, you know, wasting time or something like that. Of course, there are days where I don't follow the systems and, uh, but those are like, you know, the exceptions uh, because a lot of the, most of the time I do enjoy it so much that I want to do it. Like I'm so excited to write 
the next book that I, you know, write it every day and uh, doing it, you know, quite many hours. So um, yeah, it's, you know, just being very passionate about what you do and excited about what you do that um, the work doesn't feel like work and it's very like enjoyable. Uh, it's, you know, very, very useful to also, you know, have that work that you do a part of your like life or kind of meshed with your life in some way uh, so um, yeah obviously you know i think it's you know very very good quote-unquote job to uh, take care of your health and uh, <laughs> learn about nutrition and uh, exercise and those things so um, yeah i'm kind of you know happy that i've managed to create this lifestyle for myself um, that prioritizes you know my own you know health and being able to also uh, share that information with others uh, that i've uh, learned yeah, I, I think that's one of the reasons that it's so resonating for me is the integrity that's there when you practice what you preach. And it definitely is something that I can sense that obviously you're passionate about and it's not work to you. I, I guess the biggest success comes with that focus, just like if you had a micro uh, magnifying glass. I know when I was a kid, I used to like to shine it and then make a piece of paper go on fire because it's so concentrated. I think the real lesson is in how you organize and the systems you've come up with to be able to consistently churn out content. Just as a feedback for me, my biggest concern is when I start to do that, I get so overwhelmed that I wish I, I have so many things I wanna put in there. And for you, it's the same thing, I'm sure, but you turn it out anyways and then say, oh, I'll just, I'll write whatever I wanna write in the next book that I can include on that. So kudos to you. I'm still in like the seven books that are in my head that I feel I have to put in one book. Um, but right. so, so let's kind of shift over into uh, longevity and, and circadian rhythm. So as, as far as my demographic or the people that would listen to this, identify themselves as having uh, a, uh, an adrenal fatigue problem. And I tell them, listen, it goes more than adrenal fatigue. The adrenals don't actually fatigue per se. 90% of the challenges occur outside of the adrenal system and all the feedback loops and communications. But besides that, I don't even feel HPA axis is a good term either be dysfunction because it's just so much more involved than that. Um, but the whole point is we do understand, and most pr practitioners, whether they're allopathic or traditional or um, uh, alternative, understand that there's a dineural pattern or there's a circadian rhythm with cortisol and it rises in the morning and then falls at night. But maybe you could start to explain how much more circadian rhythm is beyond just HPA axis uh, and, and why it matters so much. Hmm. Yeah, well, I think circadian rhythms are just the overarching rhythms of your body that uh, govern everything inside that happening on a daily basis. Um, there's also like, you know, ultradian rhythms that uh, are longer than 24 hour cycle, but uh, the main like what happens on a constant basis uh, all the time is the circadian rhythm 24 hour cycle. And um, yeah, I mean, they govern, like you mentioned, the nervous system and the uh, HP axis function, but also things like just digestion, insulin sensitivity, energy production, um, exercise performance, your body temperature, blood pressure, uh, and many of the longevity pathways are also linked to the uh, circadian uh, rhythm. 
And uh, yeah, I personally think that, you know, these circadian rhythms are more, one of the most underlooked and underappreciated aspects of longevity and anti-aging, uh, which may, we can probably talk about a bit more in detail. But uh, yeah, essentially disruptions in those rhythms uh, will cause, or like the reason why these disruptions are harmful is because they're going to put like more additional stress on the body and inflammation rises, you have less insensitivity and everything, things start to like go wrong. And uh, the like one of the example of that would be shift work, which the uh, World Health Organization does categorize as a carcinogen. So just being mismatched with the circadian rhythms causes disease and uh, being aligned with the natural circadian rhythm, which humans are like diurnal creatures that were awake during daytime and asleep at night, that is where your body, you know, is synchronized and aligned with how it's supposed to work. It receives the signals from the light environment and that light will tell the body, okay, you need to produce these hormones and you need to, you know, govern these other processes so that you could stay healthy. Uh, th th it's, yeah, like just the kind of, the rhythms themselves are, yeah, like signals uh, or um, processes coming from the signals that you receive, like different signals, like the light or food or exercise. They will just tell the body, okay, this is what you need to do. And uh, this was what, what the human body is like uh, evolutionarily adapted uh, to do as well. And if you are not aligned with them, then it's gonna, you know, cause some sort of a disease eventually. Yeah, 100%. And I think that it, it really echoes how important that stress and and just our day-to-day -day exposure and our communication with the earth has to do with adrenals and hpa axis and cellular cellular function as a whole and i know you've interviewed uh david st Clair, and he talks about how aging is uh really a breakdown of communication and, and i believe that the frequencies and and the signals that are, are happening on a, on a level that we don't realize um, to finally tune and synchronize our body. And it's really amazing. You're right. It's underappreciated. And the great thing about it is it's free. You don't have to patent it. Uh, you can, I tell yeah. my clients, if you just go camping and not glamping, you know, you don't bring your cell phone, you just go camping, um, do that for a week. And that's probably one of the best things you could do for your body to, to get it reacclimated to the earth. Um, as far as how would, where does NAD plus comes in? And you said we can get into a little bit of the aging. And so maybe tell our listeners what, what is NAD plus and what does it have to do with circadian rhythm and aging? Yeah, well, NAD plus translates into nicotinamide, adenine, dinucleotide, and uh, it's this enzyme inside the body that is also involved with everything you do. It's like a currency that is being used to produce energy, regulate the immune system and uh, DNA repair. Uh, the circadian rhythms are using that. Uh, and uh, yeah, like muscle function, insulin sensitivity, again, are using that. And it's like ATP almost, you need like NAD um, to shuffle around you know, electrons and things like that. And um, with, in relation to aging, uh, there is uh, a drop of NAD that occurs with uh, aging, like you lose almost uh, or like over 50% of your NAD you lose after the age of 40 generally, and uh, low levels of NAD are associated with all the hallmarks of aging, like uh, cellular senescence, uh, loss of proteostasis or autophagy, and uh, dysregulated nutrient sensing and uh, genomic instability and DNA damage and telomere shortening, they're all 
caused by low levels of NAD. And um, there are there aren't like you know a lot of studies where they use NAD like you know extend lifespan compared to some other molecules and uh, compounds. Uh, but it is still let's say crucial for maintaining good health span, which uh, relates to just you know being functional and being functionally fit for as long as possible. And when it comes to the you know obviously there's many ways to boost NAD levels like um, exercise and intermittent fasting, calorie restriction, uh, those are like natural ways to do it. But um, one key part of doing that as well is like the circadian rhythm alignment, because, you know, there are like a lot of these NAD boosting supplements that you can take like NMN and uh, nicotinamide riboside. But uh, the problem with only taking like this supplement is that unless your body's natural NAD factory or mechanism production line isn't working properly then uh, you're going to just take the supplement you may get like a short-term boost in it but uh, your body's going to excrete the rest and it's not going to start making it itself uh, it's not like you know, like yeah you're not really making the body produce nad itself if you're taking a supplement uh, whereas if you uh, have the essentially the uh, production uh, working well then you can also just help to recycle the NAD all the time. So, you know, you can get any different food supplements or um, having the NAD salvage pathway or the recycling of NAD working uh, very well. And uh, not exactly sure the percentage or the amount, uh, but they uh, do approximate that um, the vast majority of the NAD that you produce daily comes from the recycling and uh, resalvage. So, uh, yeah, maybe like up to 90% of it. That's what I've heard that 90% uh, of the NAD you have every day is uh, recycled on a daily basis. And only like 10% will come from the uh, precursors from food or uh, the supplements. So uh, yeah, you need to have the recycling pathway working properly to have high levels of NAD. And the way you recycle the NAD, there is this uh, one key enzyme in inside the salvage pathway where you produce NAD and uh, NAEPT is what it's called. And this NAEPT enzyme is uh, circadian rhythm dependent. So it's uh, dependent upon a CERT1, which is uh, this circadian uh, clock uh, gene protein. And uh, yeah, basically what it means that the circadian signaling is what will tell the body that it needs to turn on the uh, salvage pathway. And uh, I, I would suggest that, you know, the most of the NAD gets recycled when you're sleeping uh, in, because that's what the body tends to do to kind of clamp all these uh, repair and rejuvenation processes into the night in, together with like melatonin and other hormones. Uh, and during daytime, it's just, you know, signals the body that kind of, yeah, installs this information in there of um, being aligned with the circadian rhythms and uh, then, then enabling the body to also produce melatonin at night that would govern all these repair. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I'll stop here for a moment. So main main idea is that the circadian rhythms will basically uh, enable the cycling of recycling of uh, NAD and uh, keep keep uh, NAD levels higher. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great answer, and I, I want to kind of link that to some of the analogies you use in terms of uh, the recycling and the assembly line, and and what I'll add to that is the widget. Which would be the which would be the end product, but also how fast that assembly line is moving. So when I talk to our clients, I always do that analogy of supply and demand. Just think of it as you have more demand than you do supply. 
And, or I use another analogy in terms of you have too many on-roads to your highway and not enough off-ramps to your highway. And when there's too much traffic on there, you need to, you're going to deplete your, your NAD and you need to make sure you open up your off-ramp so that you can take the cars off the highway. So a lot of different analogies. Uh, but what increases the speed of that assembly line or the on-ramp to that highway is environmental stressors that I don't think we ever really plan for in terms of EMFs, pesticides, sprays, uh, growth hormones in our foods, uh, plastics in the environment, um, enriched iron in our foods, fortification of B vitamins in our foods. I mean, the list goes on and on. And actually, it's just a good segue. There was a guy that I talked to that invented the first ever NAD plus testing at the last A4M meeting. And I asked him, I said, well, how, how, how is that going to be a good predictor of the amount of cars or how fast that assembly line is, is running if it's constant and it's always there? So I guess the question would be to you, Seem, do you see utility in being able to test NAD plus or NAD plus to NADH ratios, if it's it's going to have high value, or you think it's just a, a a snapshot in time that's not really predictive of future and and past, um, I guess quality of of your demand and supply in your body. What's what's your feedback on that? Uh, yeah, I, I have had like some similar experiences that that it's very very like sensitive to. A lot of factors like most of what is going to reduce your energy levels are going to be like inflammation and oxidative stress and um yeah emf or whatever this uh food sleep deprivation whatever raises like inflammation and causes dna damage that's mostly going to burn through the energy as well and um, i do think that it the the results could like change very rapidly so uh, for example i did like the test um maybe like, yeah, like I did a test, uh, my levels were high and I did a test maybe. And, and at that time I was like, you know, very optimally functioning. And I did the test again, maybe like a few months later, but this time I wasn't like, you know, very optimized or I was like a bit understepped and those kinds of things, um, exercising a lot and those. Uh, so uh, my results were actually a bit lower because of that. And I do think that it's kind of, yeah, it can be like a very sensitive, to the changes in your like lifestyle and uh, what you're doing on a daily basis. So I wouldn't say that uh, it's something to like, you know, put a lot of long-term um, emphasis on it. Yeah. It's maybe like a snapshot in a particular moment to know like, okay, what am I in analysis right now? Uh, but uh, it's not going to tell like anything about long-term health changes. So it's not going to be like a predictor of mortality. I would, wouldn't suggest um, so more like the biomarkers themselves are more valuable and definitely cheaper and more easily accessible. Uh, so I'd much rather focus on them. Um, the same with like the DNA methylation test that um, is used to assess like your biological age. Uh, it's also very sensitive and can change very rapidly. So it's yeah more like a snapshot. So I don't see like it does like have like a lot of yeah like long term uh, value. Uh, it can be like again used in the short term to know what, what your status health status in a particular moment but uh not very practical in the over the long term yeah i agree I'm, I'm glad that you you echoed that because i do feel that there's a lot of other great surrogate markers for 
assessing metabolic syndrome and which was interesting you know in your in your latest circadian nad plus activation system book I mean, it's amazing how much references you have like there's no bsing it's all validated through substantial referenced material one of the interesting things that i just wrote down quickly was you quoted a study that said in between 1988 to 2012 there was 34 percent of the population um, that had metabolic syndrome but in the United States now, 88% of the people have metabolic syndrome. And I think that there's really great biomarkers like triglycerides over HDL, fasting insulin, um, AST, ALT, um, other, other really great markers that you can get every day that doctors aren't yeah. looking at from the broad, broad ranges. But let me ask you just your opinion on that. Between 1988 and 2012, 34%, and I know it's not the same cohorts that we're testing or maybe the same people, but 19, you know, now 88%, what do you think, uh, even if it were apples to apples, what do you think's been responsible for that huge dramatic increase in how many people are sick metabolically these days uh, well maybe maybe it's something to do with like a generational shift or something like that the older generation who was kind of kind of healthy has died and uh, now there's like the quote unquote like a new i don't know like gen or millennials or i don't know who i don't know the exactly well, how do they call these different generations but uh, yeah like maybe this older generation who was, you know, back from the old day where they ate whole foods and exercised a little bit, or, you know, be, they spent like time, basically like the pre-internet generation and pre, uh, <laughs> pre uh, this uh, TV generation, those who have all died. And that's like just uh, increased the mean or the average uh, rate of this metabolic syndrome in the population, because the, you know, everyone after that was kind of more the TV generation uh, TV dinner generation and uh, that kind of thing. So just I think maybe like that would be like a sudden increase uh, in that. But obviously, just the more wide accessibility of the junk food in the environment. Uh, I think that's the just the biggest cause of all these diseases. Uh, not even like the lack of exercise, but I think the biggest one is just the food, the sheer excess of calories everywhere and uh, in every food, and uh, kind of the ease of access as well, like just the vending machines, Uber, Uber Eats uh all the starbucks coffee everywhere so yeah just people consume too many calories all the time everywhere yeah it's a good anthropological answer for sure i love it um you know what i'm older than you and and we didn't have cell phones and we were just starting to get atari and a television but you know amazon prime delivered in 24 hours and just the 5g let alone if they're 6g pesticides and sprays it's just created an avalanche of, of huge challenges. So I, I like your answer, but I also feel that environmentally, I mean, I think it's in Estonia, you have more regulations about what you can put in foods and how you can spray the crops. And it always comes down to the almighty dollar, unfortunately. And I think we're seeing huge shifts in, in health as a result of that. But back to what we want to talk about, you, you did mention in terms of the NAD plus that um, what I do again with, with gene interpretations is now looking at sirtuins and sirtuins can basically tell the body, Hey, the assembly line's working really, really fast. There's a lot of inflammation, a lot of environmental triggers, all the, the TV dinner generation, not as much exercise, not as much communication with the earth, too much foods, overconsumption of processed foods. 
and then they say NAD plus uh, um, in de novo factories start making more NAD plus. Um, tell us how we can uh, do things naturally, because that's what you really talk about between um, resetting the circadian rhythm and everything else in between. What's the what can we do naturally seem to to really get those um, factories working at full throttle? Yeah, um, well, you mentioned all these bad stressors, EMF and food and uh, pesticides and those things. Yeah, things that cause the inflammation and oxidative stress and DNA damage, those generally will deplete NAD. And because NAD is being used to kind of treat that uh, situation, whereas all these different kinds of positive stressors, hormetic stressors, as they're called, uh, exercise, intermittent fasting, calorie restriction, um, sauna, cold, uh, sunlight exposure to a certain extent, and uh, there's different food molecules, xenohormetic food molecules, uh, resveratrol, physetin, apigenin, yeah, like these polyphenols, coffee, green tea, those um, also help with the recycling and the, the salvage pathway. So they do it by turning on uh, the uh, fuel sensor called AMPK, which is like an energetic stressor or detects energetic stress uh, in response to we yeah, are like usually physiological stressors and uh, that in turn also helps to turn on the NAMPT enzyme to recycle the NAD levels so yeah all you know healthy lifestyle habits uh, exercise I think is kind of the most underrated way of as well not uh, we said the circadian rhythm is the most underrated uh, but uh, exercise is yeah like the most powerful uh, like anti-aging activity and uh, longevity thing it's more powerful than any like any drug or any supplement that currently we have. And um, it definitely has like a huge impact on uh, energy levels as well. They see that uh, older people who exercise, they have much higher levels of NAMPT in their muscles as well. And uh, even they have, may even have more of NAMPT levels than uh, let's say younger adults who don't exercise. So um, yeah, just, you know, exercising itself is going to be one of the biggest way to, uh, let's say, put the factory into overdrive or to start producing a lot more NAD. Um, both like, you know, resistance training and cardio would do it, but I, I, would, su I would suspect that uh, cardio and this kind of zone two cardio, as it's called, this very semi-low intensity, long cardio, uh, that I think is going to be the best way to kind of produce more um, mitochondria for mitochondrial biogenesis but as well like help to boost nad uh, levels then uh, from the food side then the food is also like a cue for the circadian rhythms uh, and uh, you don't want to like you know be eating at like all hours or eating in the middle of the night those kind of things that those will also offset the circadian rhythm or disrupt it uh, so humans are kind of supposed to eat when it's daytime and uh, studies about time restricted eating sh do show that uh, confining your eating window in a smaller time frame has some like health benefits it's not like superior to calorie restriction in terms of weight loss but uh, it can improve things like insulin sensitivity and upregulate different these longevity markers like sirtuins and autology more than um, just regularly eating over the course of 12 hours for example, like uh, many people do, 
uh, the average American, you know, eats over the course of 15 or 16 hours. So uh, that's like not what I would recommend. I, I would, I do think that it's better to like, you know, wait a few hours after waking up and definitely not eat immediately before bed. So have like a, you know, few hours from the bedtime as well to finish your last meal and then eat maybe like, you know, definitely like not more than like three meals isn't necessary. So uh, two to three meals uh, within like a more, like a smaller uh, time frame, um, and the circadian rhythm side, just that from for that you just need to kind of um, establish like a consistent bed and awake time. So uh, you go to bed and wake up around the same time. Um, you do want to get exposed to like natural sunlight. Most 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 importantly, like in the morning after waking up to start the circadian clocks. So uh, just this uh, UV light from the sun uh, that will be very or it's going to be much more powerful in terms of the brightness and intensity even if it's cloudy than being indoors so uh being indoors doesn't really you know enable you to start the circadian more that doesn't do it that is the healthy way uh whereas if you go outside after waking up a little bit uh, maybe five or ten minutes that will already uh, tell the brain that it's you know daytime and it's also actually you know Basically, like, you know, it's like a domino uh, stone. It's the first domino stone, the most important one that will just, you know, push the circadian clock uh, working in the right direction. And in the evening, you want to avoid these, like, bright lights, blue light, uh, green light, because they're going to suppress melatonin and disrupt your sleep quality a little bit and kind of, yeah, disrupt the clocks as well. So bright light, uh, movement, um, hydration in the morning, in the evening, just, you know, avoid snacking, avoid large meals, and uh, uh, block the blue light as well. I think that's kind of one of the main messages of the circadian energy deactivation system as well, and the main like practical practical applications uh, of that. Yeah, I know absolutely. It's amazing. It's that this dichotomy seem of how how complex it could be, but at the same time, how simple it could be, right? I mean, this isn't rocket science to yeah. tell someone, hey, you need to go to sleep properly and you don't need to be eating at 24 hours a day and you need to get outside and be part of the earth. I mean, those are common sense stuff. But then when you start talking about foxos and sirtuins and ADD plus, sometimes you could le le lose someone if they're not into that um into that science but for the listener i mean stronger by stress metabolic autophagy we'll have links for that as well as their circadian nad plus activation i know you give a lot of way uh, things for free intermittent fasting guide um I, I guess the autophagy activation cheat sheet um sleeping for for better uh sleeping better uh a free guide so i'll, I'll have links for those because i think the other thing that I have to commend you on is not just how productive and how amazing your 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 information is and how prolific you are, but how you give a lot of it away for free so that people can learn this information. So thank you for for doing that. As far as autophagy goes, and and you talked about intermittent fasting, and we have time restricted eating windows, or we have different strategies like five and two, and then of course. Uh, full full fast and autophagy. Um, can you speak a little bit about that? Because one of the products that I'm developing or, or names that I'm developing is something called catabolic to anabolic. And the analogy I use is you can't drive with your foot on the gas and at the brake at the same time. 
And, and, and there's a fine line to that, meaning if you're, if you're not eating a lot, but then maybe you're getting a, a weight, weight lot, well, you're lifting a lot of weights, or if you're doing um, a lot of mTOR stuff, but, but you're wishing to, to turn on autophagy, I mean, can you talk us, uh, take us through maybe the different types of food restrictions and ultimately how to not drive with your foot on the gas and the brake at the same time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of the main topic of the book, Metabolic Ecology. And um, there are, you know, reasons to think that you, uh, shouldn't yeah like different different like growth periods people can go through their life as you're like a child or a baby then you're growing a lot like your you know in terms of the percentage you grow like you know very large like you double your size in you know one year or something like that so your the ratios increase exponentially when you're young and uh, in your like after puberty it kind of starts to slow down a little bit so you're not you're actually aging the most or the fastest when you're like young in terms of the changes you go through the fastest and it kind of plateaus in your 20s and starts to slowly um, basically accelerate or yeah the process of aging slows down uh, when you're in your 20s and 30s and then uh, you know you start to see more these uh, visible and significant changes uh, after your, it depends on when it happens. Like if you have, you know, good, healthy, healthy lifestyle, then it, you can prolong it. But if you have like a bad lifestyle, then it's going to start to happen again in your forties or fifties already. Uh, let's say compared to sixties or eighties, if you're healthy. Uh, so uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, different growth periods. If you're young, you do want to grow. Uh, you want to build, you know, bone density and get a lot of nutrition and nutrients into your system so that you could grow and develop properly physical features and brain and those kind of things if you're old then you also like want to support the growth uh, not because you can grow but you, for maintaining the things that you have so if you're like let's say 60 or 70 then what tends to happen is that your uh, like muscle mass decreases because of many reasons some people say that it's you know, you lose the sensitivity to stimulate protein synthesis, um, you just become sedentary, uh, those kind of things, whatever it is, like there is a, uh, like a yeah, significant trend in uh, losing muscle mass if you get older and uh, you're not able to build it back up either that easily either uh, for different reasons. So yeah, in that scenario, you do want to support that growth as well by, you know, yeah, eating more protein and um, and getting amino acids and those kind of things to maintain that. Um, and likewise, when you're young, you want to do that as well to kind of grow and uh, produce a lot of growth hormone and uh, anabolic hormones to grow. Um, it's, it's like, yeah, a bit controversial in terms of do you want to do that all the time in your like, you know, if you're in your 20s until 40s or 50s, do you want to do that all the time? Uh, there is like some animal studies animal research that suggests that yeah like being in this growth state all the time by being anabolic and turning on this pathway called mTOR and increasing IGF-1 levels and uh, growth hormone is that the most beneficial thing to do in your like middle years or yeah because there is like restricting protein restricting the mTOR has been found to be beneficial for longevity in some sense um but yeah, like not all the time. Definitely, you don't want to do that if you're like still growing, if you're like a teenager. And even like in your 20s, maybe you don't want to do that that significantly. You want to still, you know, 
yeah, be, be strong and uh, build muscle as well in your younger years because it's easier to do that. Uh, in your older years, you may not want to do that uh, or this restrictive approach either that much of restricting protein because that would entail that you become more frail and that can be you know harmful for sarcopenia and metabolic health in general. Uh, but yeah, I do personally think that there's some merit to, to going through these different cycles of growing of being in a more anabolic state and also going through st stages of being more catabolic uh, because during that catabolic state you do see an increase in all these different longevity markers that we mentioned already like foxo proteins sirtuins and uh, uh, autophagy and nad and yeah those very more associated with like increased lifespan and longevity uh, and the same applies to just calorie restriction um, to restricting calories is one of the most known ways to uh, extend lifespan in other studies. Uh, some people think that it's not the best thing for humans, uh, which can be true because, you know, if you calorie restrict, then you also become more frail or you increase the risk of nutrient deficiency. So you need to do it well and you need to do it maybe like cyclically and not all the time. Uh, but fortunately, there are like some ways to mimic some of these uh, effects that you see in calorie restriction like within the fasting we do see like almost a, like identical um, identical uh, change in biomarkers as you would in calorie restriction and uh, the same applies to exercise like exercise mimics calorie restriction uh, so yeah you can apply you basically don't want to become over nourished uh, you don't want to become obese you don't want to become uh, overweight and develop metabolic syndrome you don't want to be in this yeah over overnourished or overfed state overabundant state all the time you want to have like some periods of restriction whether that takes the form of calorie restriction um, restricting some sort of like the time window that you eat maybe doing like a longer fast uh, whatever it is uh, but i think the reason why fasting can help with the longevity thing is that it kind of prevents you from getting obese or prevents you from getting overweight um, and, the, and the same but the way it works with calorie restriction as well uh, so just some people may prefer to do like a longer fast and not really restrict their calories at other times, whereas others prefer to do just a regular calorie restriction uh, and then eating appropriately at maintenance or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the kind of main idea to cycle through periods of growth and uh, some sort of catabolism. Uh, but it, you definitely don't want to be this very low calorie state all the time. And when it comes to protein restriction, then yeah, I do think that, yeah, you may be not eating a high protein diet all the time is the best idea. So you cycle that as well. But being on a chronically low protein diet can also be harmful uh, because of, yeah, just increasing uh, frailty risk and uh, sarcopenia and not being able to build muscle. So, yeah, protein can be very beneficial. Just you may not want to be eating like a super high protein diet uh, all the time. Yeah, it's a, it's a great answer. One of my mentors said everything we learned in life can be extrapolated from Goldilocks and the three bears, not too much, not too little, but just right. And I think depending on where you are on your age and your life cycle, you're putting more emphasis on building. And then as we get older, you still want to maintain strength and mitogenesis, but you also want to make sure you're recycling and getting into autophagy. I, I do think, and you'll agree with me seeing that 
the bodybuilders uh, are the original OGs of biohacking, right? They understood this concept intuitively, even though they may not have known about the term autophagy or mTOR. I use the analogy almost like think about a, a farmer's field and, and they plant a lot of crops and the soil is very new and they're getting the most yield out of that soil in the early years. But at the end of the season, they got to go in there and churn the soil and recycle it so that they can um, repopulate the, the field again and, and rotate the crops and keep the minerals high. But as that field's been living for 80 and 90 years, the, their emphasis is more on recycling those soils and just getting good high quality nutrients, but maybe they're not looking to get the most amount of yield like they were 50 or 60 years ago, but they're still productive. I think that's a really good analogy in terms of what you just mentioned. Um, and of course, modulating protein is a huge way to, to change that, especially you talk about which is a, there's so many things I could ask you. Yeah, I love how you get into methionine and glycine. I, I definitely would love to talk to you about that. But before I do, Sam, what are your biomarkers? I know you have the aura ring. Um, as far as objective markers that you look at, or what some ahas that you've had with your readiness or your sleep scores or your recovery or objective markers that you look at, even though I still think subjective is is most important, but what are some of these ahas that you've had maybe that you could share with us that you've seen in these objective markers, whether it's day-to-day -day testing or it's month-to-month -month testing with uh, markers, but what are some of the things that you're seeing with your own body that gave you some ahas with? Mm -hmm. um, well, I think uh, from my bio work uh, or my blood work, uh, generally I can see that uh, when I'm doing like innovative fasting and uh, eating like, you know, once or twice a day, then uh, my biomarkers are generally very good. Uh, so I don't see like any of these negative uh, side effects that people tend to talk about. Like I don't see um, loss in muscle. I don't see in uh, low thyroid. I don't see high stress, high cortisol. I don't see uh, high uh, blood sugar or those kind of things um and funny enough like even like you know oh yes like it is true that fasting lowers things like in uh, ig1 uh, which is can be good for some uh for anti-aging purposes uh because it is associated with like cancer and uh, aging but uh in in very high amounts but uh, like low low levels of ig1 can also be bad because it like increases the risk of uh, muscle loss and uh, frailty, those things. So, so obviously I don't have any of those things, but my IGF-1 IGF levels are still uh, very low. Um, and uh, the reason why I think that it is low is because of the intermittent fasting. Uh, so because I still eat like a higher protein intake. So if I were to eat the same amount of protein across like three, uh, three meals or five meals, then my IGF-1 levels will probably be higher. Um, but because I'm eating in a smaller time frame, then it kind of compensates for that and keeps the IGF-1 level or the overall IGF-1 level uh, low as a result of that. Uh, my sleep isn't uh, suffering from the uh, intermittent fasting either. Uh, it's uh, good. I do get away. I do sleep like um, a bit less than uh, like an average person. Maybe I'm just, you know, kind of used to it or, uh, but yeah, it's not like I don't sleep eight or nine hours. I usually sleep like, you know, six to seven hours. Uh, something like that and um, 
it hasn't had like any like negative effect on my biomarkers or my bl blood um, results so those things are still good like i don't have a high blood sugar level even if i sleep less uh, which is usually what's going to happen with uh, not sleeping enough so i still get like adequate recovery uh, my deep sleep is great um uh, my hr is very good like it's actually super high uh it's and uh i think that reason why it's high is because of again like exercise saunas maybe uh, but yeah exercise and you know fasting i think is the one, biggest reasons that for my my own hrv was uh, high uh, yeah no i mean I, I wouldn't expect it to be otherwise i think that when you're dialed in as much as you are and goes back to what we initially talked about is like you don't have to force yourself to get up every day and, and dial into what you do because you love it you're congruent with what you're teaching you you follow you practice what you preach and and you're doing these you mentioned as far as we're on, not only on a dineural rhythm but we're on a on a sort of a seasonal rhythm as well and i think that's really important where when we go into uh the summer months and and there's more fruitful we can do more calories we can grow and 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 but then when we get into sort of the fall and the winter it, we're engineered to be more of a slower type of not as much calorie do you do you do stuff like that as well seem in terms of the year and what time of the year we are and sort of whether it's the foods that are available at that time versus eating foods that are imported and eating stuff that aren't. But are, are you aware of that as part of your, your biohacks and longevity strategies personally? Uh, well, I do think I do a little bit of it uh, just like intuitively or, or just because of yeah, like we have like things growing in my garden at that time. So uh, at summer, I would eat, yeah, like more things coming from my garden. Uh, and at winter time, I would, uh, I would still eat, you know, occasionally foods that aren't for that season. Like maybe like I would still eat some like, I don't know, oranges or tomatoes in winter. Uh, but maybe like a little bit less, probably. So, yeah, I do in the summertime, I tend to... Be, yeah more like fruits and or a bit, a bit higher carb and that uh, the winter maybe like a lower carb more a little bit it, I, I do I just usually regulate that based on my uh, activity levels and if I'm more physically active then I'll eat more carbs and if I'm less then I'll eat less carbs so just maybe in the summertime I'm just generally more active a little bit right it's more of a, of a natural, just what's available and intuitively how you've been. I mean, because you're so, I guess, uh, dialed in with the resonance of, of communication of, of what's going on with the earth, which is great. Um, I did mention to you before we started today that I wanted to do uh, a genomic interpretation so that we can see um, what some of the challenges are maybe from a genetically more susceptible, where would the weak links in the chain break if enough epigenetic triggers cause that to happen? I, I guess, we, you know, with David St. Clair, you mentioned about maybe 20% of our expression is genomic and 80% is epigenomic. Um, how big are you or small are you into understanding some of the genomics and 
if they're as important as you think they are, as, as people say they are, or just, I know with DNA methylation is a big indicator of aging as well, but as far as just how much credence do you put into that? Uh, well, yeah, for, for some things, uh, it can be, yeah, very important. Like MTHFR is going to be huge. Um, and uh, things like APOE gene is going to be also very important. You know, whether you're a fast metabolizer of caffeine or slow, I think that's very important. Um, so, yeah, I do think there are a lot of very important things that you can learn from uh, the genetics that can even be like, you know, life changing. Um, so some people are yeah, poor methylators, which can be fixed very quite easily. Uh, so, yeah. Right. So, I mean, and again, I, I agree with you in terms of it. It's important to know from a pharmacokinetic or, you know, as understanding how things metabolize or how they impact your body. And um, for me, it's not so much this gene does that and just gene does this. It's the whole nutritional epigenomic genetic susceptibility, the blueprint, the roadmap, the landmines, the GPS settings. To, to really know where you're going and what you need to do to, to change gears. So in respect for your time, Sim, one of the things that I ask as a parting question is, you know, the name of the podcast is called The Truth About Your Health. So what truth about health do you know now that you didn't know when maybe you were just starting the anthropology and didn't know all the doors that you were going to go through and talking about intermittent fasting and ketogenic diets and autophagy and mTOR. What do you wish you knew now that you didn't know then? Or what truth is that revealed now that you may have thought was not, that was the opposite or was told that it was true, but it wasn't then? What would you, what would you think that would be for just on your life and, and what you've learned so far? Mm -hmm. Um. Well, I was already doing like intermittent fasting and keto and things of that uh, when I started college, uh, even before that. Uh, so I think I think like you know what what has maybe has changed a little bit is that um, I think right now I think that uh, like this you know carbohydrate intake and uh, even like you know grains and those kind of things aren't as bad as people may think <laughs> i think they can still be part of a you know they can still be a part of a, like a very healthy lifestyle uh, and uh, just people usually have like negative experiences with them because of i don't know past experiences or someone told them that they're bad or something like that uh, from my own experience i don't have any you know negative effects from that and um uh, it's a, uh, it's, it comes down to like energy balance and uh, yeah, like your biomarkers, if you're still very insulin sensitive and uh, very metabolically healthy, then you can get away, you should get away with, you know, carbohydrates and, uh, you know, sugar in like at normal quantities, obviously not in like excess, but uh, you, you don't basically have to have to think that any piece of, you know, bread or any piece of, <laughs> you know, some sort of carbohydrate or sugar is going to kill you or is going to, give you insulin resistance or diabetes. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the aha for me is that you've been dialed in your whole life pretty much. And I, I think that for the listener, I agree 100%, like Michael Phelps, when he's exercising as much as he has, he needs to eat more calories to match that energy expenditure. 
However, I would just put the asterisk, all things being equal, I would agree with you, but given that we're in the US and there's still yeah. massive amounts of GMOs and sprays and so forth, it makes it really difficult for, unfortunately, the socioeconomic impact of things that um, get taxed or things that get uh, supported and how much exp more expensive it is for the average person to get stuff that aren't adulterated, but a hundred percent, all things being equal, yeah. I agree a hundred percent. Any any other last comments or um, things that we didn't talk about that you want to mention? Um, or, I, I mean, the listener I'm sure has already heard of you, but I will leave a bunch of free um, information for them to get, to get access to what you publish and what you do. Um, you did mention, I guess the last question would be, you did mention you have another book coming out. So what's new on the horizon for Seam? And maybe tell us about your, 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 your organization or what you're planning with your, um, with your sustainable protein sources. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, well, the next book, The Obesity Fix, is going to be, um, maybe like in summer, we're going to expect to release that. It's gonna be just you know what is promoting the obesity the most, and what are the kind of most, um, or what is the reason why people are eating so much, and uh, where does those that food and calories come from? How do you like help to mitigate that and uh, reverse it, the obesity? And um, yeah, but also working on this uh, like a hemp-based uh, granule that is has high protein and is basically like a plant-based protein source um that um yeah it's just like an alternative to things like beyond meat and uh these other uh burgers that tend to be actually very bad in terms of the ingredients and uh, to your health so we actually one i just want to create like a plant-based meat alternative that is actually good and uh has clean ingredients and doesn't have anything else artificial just you know it has only hemp flour and uh, pea protein so it's 100 percent like you know natural no, that's awesome. And I'm excited to see that when it comes out. But Seem, I want to thank you for your time. I will post the links to all the resources that we talked about. And I look forward to continuing follow you from the uh, from the fly on the wall, so to speak, and seeing all the things that you're doing. And just want to thank you for giving me your time today and everything that you do. So thank you so much. Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of your Adrenal Fix podcast, where our goal is really to teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their energy back quickly. And if you happen to be suffering with your own exhaustion and fatigue-based problems and you're not getting answers and you're frustrated and you're concerned and you really want to get back to the things that you're not able to do, then maybe it's time for you and I to book a discovery call. If that makes sense to you or what we talked about makes sense to you, then this is an opportunity for you and I to troubleshoot and figure out what's going on in your body, what's not working, what have you tried, how's it impacting you. Most importantly, figure out where you want to go with your health and why you're not able to bridge that gap. And if I feel I can help you and all the things that you need to be doing, I can recommend to you, I'll let you know. And if I don't know, I'll tell you that too. But my goal is for you to leave this call with a step-by-step -step game plan to learn how to bridge that gap and get your life back quickly. 
If I feel I can help you, I'll tell you what that will look like to work together. However, there's no obligation to do any further work and there's no charge for the call whatsoever. It's just really a one-on-one time for you and my team member or myself to get true value out of what's not working with your health and what are you missing in order for you to make that next step. If that makes a lot of sense to you, then go ahead and go to www.adrenalfatigueworkshop.com, all one word, adrenalfatigueworkshop.com forward slash apply. Now spacing is limited and it's a first come first first served basis and you have to be willing to to make that next step to get your health back or at least be serious about it if we feel we can help each other just go to www.adrenalfatigueworkshop.com forward slash apply and i look forward to giving you value and getting you your health back